Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Graham Farrar. He is President and Chief Cannabis Officer at Glasshouse Group. We're going to learn a little bit more about what they've been doing in the cannabis market. Some interesting background based out of Santa Barbara, one of my favorite locations, certainly on the West Coast. And I'm curious about this because they've, they've been doing this for a little while. They've really developed not only a great kind of operation and ability to grow, but really looking at brand, which I think is really important in today's cannabis market. So with that, Graham, welcome to the program. Thanks, Bruce. I uh, appreciate uh, you having us on. We're stoked to be here. Yeah, no, it's fun to have you. So let's do a little bit about background. So tell us the story. How did you get involved in cannabis? What was the beginnings of the company? Give us the uh, give us the history. Yeah, so um, I would say I'm a tech guy by experience and background and a uh, cannabis lover by passion. So we've, uh, you know, I, I'm really lucky that I get to combine two of my favorite things, technology and cannabis, and do it in one it. of my favorite places in my hometown, which is Santa Barbara. So I come out of a, a background, a software.com, which was an early .com company. 
company is one of the yep. original founders at Sonos, which is a really neat home home audio wireless, kind of like an iPod for your house. Oh, yeah. But through all that, I've always been a real lover of cannabis, um, have been, you know, hobby style playing around with it for 25 plus years. And uh, as Martin Luther King Jr. said, the moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice. So I've always <laughs> believed that we would see what we're seeing happen with cannabis. So uh, yeah. I don't know, about 10 years ago, uh, started a, a company that was kind of an ancillary business and started and uh, founded Glasshouse Farms about six years ago. It's about 2015 now. And uh, today we merged a bunch of pieces together, Glasshouse Group. And that's uh, we've got a half a million square feet of licensed and operational greenhouse grow in Santa Barbara. We've got four dispensaries, one in Santa Barbara, which is the first ever 21 plus uh, dispensary mm-hmm. in the city and then Berkeley and LA and Santa Ana. We've got four brands, Glasshouse Farms, which is now the number three flower brand in California, which is the biggest category in the world's biggest market. So uh, pretty cool spot to be. Field, which is a really awesome connoisseur extract brand. Forbidden Flowers, which is a brand that we developed with the actress Bella Thorne. And Mama Sue, which is a health and wellness brand. So now we sit here, one of the biggest, uh, largest cannabis companies in uh, the world's largest cannabis market, which is California. About 27% of the country's cannabis market happens here. And uh, we're really excited for what the future holds. Yeah. And I'm curious about kind of the growth and the evolution of the company. I mean, what were some of the big milestones? What were some of the big challenges? Like as you've grown and gotten to this point, what are some of the things you've had to overcome? Yes. You know, cannabis is a really interesting industry, right? And I I think the the challenge and the opportunity are, are kind of one and the same in this industry, which is it's new, but it's not new, right? And that's that's yeah. pretty rare. You know, usually when you go into something like tech, you're building it and hoping they will come, right? It's like someone had to had to invent Google before anyone Googled anything, right? Cannabis is a bit different, which is that we know that people want it, right? It's been 20, almost 26 years medically legal here in California. And, you know, people have been using cannabis since the price of cannabis was going to jail, right? So it's like we've got this 6,000 mm-hmm. year history of cannabis, of which it's been illegal for 1% of the time, we should keep that in mind. But yet it hasn't really been an industry in the industry since of the word. And so you're going through building something new, but something where you already know people want it, which is a really cool place to be. The challenge side is because it is coming out of the stigma of prohibition, it's like the most, it's, you know, the most overregulated, underserved industry you could imagine, right? I mean, if you if you think about a, a mountain jutting up from an, from a, from an earthquake, right? It's like <laughs> cannabis just jutted up and it hasn't had any time for the rain to kind of smooth the edges yet. So you get mm-hmm. all kinds of weird stuff like, you know, banking is an example. No other industry is getting a bank account part of your business plan, right? And cannabis, <laughs> getting a bank account's like, we had a celebratory dinner when we got banking for all of our industry, you know, all of our yeah, industries, yeah. right? So it's yeah. this entirely different world. And this friction, I mean, are still federally illegal, you know, I'm yeah. federal felon for what we do here in California, yeah. even though, you know, California is gonna do a billion in tax revenue. And even though we had 15 different agencies sign off on what we're doing to do it, like, so it's this really weird dichotomy. Um, and, uh, you know, I think all of that, it's just, it's that small amounts of friction. It's like riding your bike with mm-hmm. the brakes stuck halfway on. You could do it, but you really got to pedal hard. But mm-hmm. the reward is because of that, we are not competing. It's not Monsanto and Cargill and, you know, yeah. Procter and Gamble, right? So we get this area to build something that's really hard and takes a lot of time. But you know, I mean, California is probably a $12 billion market. We can probably see about $3 billion of it in the legal side right now. But think of that, mm-hmm. it's 4X growth with no new customers. That's just moving the customers over. Yeah, exactly. That, just transferring. That is a fantastic, exciting place to be. Yeah. yeah. So you obviously had some pretty big wins, you know, software.com, Sonos, obviously, you know, major, major companies, you know, a lot of growth, a lot of 
you know, success on that. What have you been able to borrow from that in the work that you're doing now? What transferred, what didn't transfer? And what have you had to kind of learn differently now that you're working in cannabis rather than sort of technology and, and product development? Yeah, so uh, I, I think the common thread, and people people sometimes ask, like, you know, how do you go from software.com, which is, you know, geeky back-end internet stuff, mm-hmm. to Sonos, which is, you know, consumer electronics, to mm-hmm. I had a company in there where we made apps for kids when the iPhone came out, to, you know, fertilizer, to... <laughs> <laughs> you know, a, a cannabis, you know, brand business. And yeah. I think the, the common thread is that I've got a lot of experience doing things that people have no experience doing. Right. And mm-hmm. so every, every one of those industries, right. When we started software.com, nobody outside of universities and the government knew what email addresses were. Right. And yeah. so we were doing this thing where there was no rules. And then with Sonos, this was before Spotify, before Rhapsody, like this was the, you know, even the iPad, I mean, I'm sorry, the iPod was new. Right. So like MP3s, yeah. And yet we were building a system that relied on that, right? So we had to forge this whole kind of ecosystem. Same with apps, right? Most people didn't have an iPhone. So cannabis is the same thing where it's like, there's no rule book. You don't look up and say, oh, this is how people do it, right? And and tomatoes, you would say, oh, I'm in this climate region. It's this (laughs) season. I want this result. Here's where I buy, you know, here's the rule book. That doesn't exist in cannabis. So, you know, I think that the uh, ability, willingness, comfort, whatever it is to say, Nobody knows, right? There's no expert to turn to. We are the expert and we got to go figure this out and we'll make mistakes and that's okay, but we're going to keep going. Like that, I think that is the mindset that, that you have to, you got to be gritty and adaptive in cannabis to even, even have a chance. And, um, yeah. and I think that's the skill that we bring, you know, that and thinking is a systems problem, right? Like you got to get all these pieces to fit together and work to get the result that you want. So tell me more about that because I think it's an interesting one. Like any time, you know, I think of, you know, kind of running, optimizing, you know, a business, you know, having this kind of systems thinking approach tends to be a strong frame to analyze the things. Like how do you see or what is the system that you feel you've developed or had to develop over time in, in the business? Yeah, so I, I think I'd probably bring a, a somewhat odd or maybe unique, more complimentary word view to this. So the way that I look at it is everything kind of fits together, right? In this in cohesive full. In any company that you're in, you have at least one biological system, and that's the people, right? Cannabis has two biological systems, right? It's got the people and then it's got the plant. In some ways, you can almost distill the plant down to, you can think of it like a computer program, right? So if you know the result that you want, you don't get to know the soft, you know, the, the code in the middle, but if you know the result that you want, you deduce and figure out the inputs that you give to the plant and it will give you those results. And if you do that consistently, the results are actually pretty consistent. The plants don't, you know, change their mind necessarily. So if you give them the right thing to get to what you want, you can do that over and over. So the things that we f- focus on at Glasshouse are quality, consistency, and efficiency. So first you got to do it great, and then you got to do it great every time, and then you got to figure out how to do it great every time efficiently, right? So if you think of that from the systems, you know, systems approach is we're trying to figure out how the most efficient way we can give the plant exactly what it needs to give us the result that we want. And then we need to do that over and over at scale. And we really like to think of what we do is craft at scale, right? We're not, we're trying to take the love that we have for the plant and amplify it, not dilute it. And one of the great ways to do that is technology. So, you know, computers are very good at you tell them what you want them to do, and they will do the exact same thing every time, all the time, right? So if you take an example, 
like irrigation. It used to be we'd grow around, we'd hand water our plants and we'd take care of them. And But then if you go on vacation or you, you know, you're tired, you're sick, right? Your plants don't get watered. And so in what we do now, we get a smart group of people and we take all the best expertise and, you know, agronomists and cannabis lovers and 25 year experts and greenhouse experts. And we bring it together and we say, this is exactly what this plant needs at this stage of its life you know, at this time, and then we can program them to the computer and the computer mm -hmm. does that perfectly seven days a week, 24 hours a day. And then we can throw in other stuff on top of it. Like, Hey, if it's extra sunny, give it a little bit more water because it can photosynthesize more. And we want to take advantage of that sun. Conversely, yeah. if it's foggy, give it a little less water because that water and fertilizer and those resources are just going to be wasted because it doesn't have the photosynthetic energy to deal with them. So, you know, you can take it way beyond the normal things that you could do as a person and actually make it even better and better, which is really cool. Yeah. And where are we in terms of kind of the underlying infrastructure? We in terms of kind of the underlying infrastructure, because I always find that, you know, technology, technical concept, but implementing it, particularly in a sort of an agricultural setting like this, you know, requires, you know, hardware, software, you know, the pieces in place. Like what, I guess, what, what have you been able to find? What, have, what did you have to build? Where have you been or, or how have you kind of evolved the technical underpinnings that you've been talking about here? Yeah, so I, I think it's worth remembering that cannabis is a plant, right? And it's a really special plant, and I think a really exciting plant. And you could go on a whole tangent of how we have endocannabinoid systems in our body, just like we have nervous systems, and our yeah. body makes endogenous cannabinoids, uh, some of our favorite serotonins and things like that. And cannabis is really special because it makes phytocannabinoids. So it has the keys to all these locks in our body that we're just figuring out what they even do and never mind how they actually work, but we know that they can do a bunch of really cool stuff. But nonetheless, it's still a plant, right? And so I think one of the things that we do is we try and be as smart as we can about learning from the huge canon of agricultural expertise that's out there and not reinventing the wheel when we don't need to, but rather taking that wheel and applying it to our favorite plant, cannabis. So there's a lot of good stuff. For example, we use Priva climate computers, right? You can think of this like a, a supercomputer thermostat almost, right? These okay. guys have been around for generations they work uh, they run all the biggest you know 100 acre greenhouses doing all kinds of crops it's like this you know six figure supercomputer we can program in vents and fans and heat pipes and dehumidifiers and irrigation and all this stuff and tell the computer what we're trying to achieve and then we partner with mother nature and the computer just kind of polishes it using all the infrastructure that we have to give the plant the perfect climate given mother nature's inputs and yeah. so a lot of the we didn't have to invent that we just had to be like oh you know let's let's be the first one Go to, to apply yeah. that to this plant to do it better than anyone's ever done before the really cool thing and then i'll be quiet is that cannabis can also be a leader for conventional agriculture because of the yeah. testing that we have because the margins we have because we're still focused on getting more from more rather than getting the same from less, we can actually blaze paths for traditional agriculture, you know, increase use of integrated pest management, which is basically good bugs instead of pesticides, a bunch of things that can start some really good virtuous cycles that all agriculture uh, can benefit from. So it's a really cool two-way street between the two right now. Yeah, that's great. And give us a little sense. I mean, you, you mentioned that you've got a you know half million, 500,000 square foot facility. I mean, what does that actually look like? Or give us a sense of scale and how this is organized from an agricultural production point of view. Yeah. So, so one way you can tell that it is um, tiny from agricultural terms is because we talk in square feet. <laughs> <laughs> Every other, you know, agricultural crop talks in, you know, acres, right? So they would call it 13 acres. It is very large from the cannabis point of view, which yeah. is, you know, you can see right where these 
things are blending, right? So it's like, mm-hmm. it, you know, in cannabis, it used to be 10,000 square feet was big, right? So they just, they kept talking in that language and 500,000 square feet is massive, right? The idea of acres of controlled climate cannabis is, yeah. I don't know if we're the biggest or, you know, the top three biggest, but we're certainly up there for the, you know, in the state of California. And so it's on the one hand, tiny for agriculture. On the other hand, super grande, <laughs> you know, extra large yeah. for yeah. cannabis. Um, so, you know, when you, when you walk around, that is, it's football fields of cannabis. I, I, you know, we're probably 10 or 15 football fields worth of cannabis. So from that point of view, it's about as big as cannabis has ever been. And how, or just kind of logistically, how have you developed this facility? Is this one, one location and multiple locations? Did you convert a location? I mean, what, was this just raw land that you built these greenhouses on? What, what's the history of the logistics? Uh, so we have two locations. Um, our first farm started about 2015 is 150,000 square feet. So rough number. That's about three and a half acres. Each yeah. greenhouse is about 50,000 square feet. So, you know, roughly an acre per greenhouse. And then we added a second farm, which we planted. We actually acquired it. It's a good, to your earlier question, it took us 34 months from buying the farm cash because this is cannabis and you can't get yep. financing to our first harvest. So the regulatory licensing wow. time took three years where we had a multi-million dollar farm empty while we went through the licensing Jeez. process. So we planted that uh I think it was it was a Thanksgiving of 2019 is when the first plant, cannabis plants went in there. So we're about a year into that farm. That farm's 355,000 square feet, so about eight acres and change. And uh, and that is uh, divided up into five greenhouses. We've got a nursery, which is 50,000 square feet, and then the balance is uh, flowering houses. And um, yeah, you know yeah. that's like you use a golf cart when you move around between <laughs> between greenhouses there. And what and what's your team look like? I mean, I, you it sounds like you're fairly technology heavy, but like, what does it take in terms of a staff to run this kind of facility? There's, yeah, so on the, on the cultivation side, there's really kind of three categories to think in. You have the the cultivation as in in the greenhouse, the growing plants. Then you have the post-harvest processing. So that's the drying, curing. We hand trim everything. So we've got a whole crew of people trimming the buds and you know packaging and inventory and stuff like that. So all the kind of post-harvest processing. And I think you know that's an interesting thing. People, you know, when you grow a tomato, you take you pick the tomato, you put it in a box, and you're done. Mm-hmm. Cannabis is a lot more like making wine, right? So you grow the cannabis and you can do that perfect. You can totally screw it up if you process it wrong. So like wine, first you got to grow the grapes and then you got to press them and then you got to ferment them. And cannabis is like that. You you harvest it, then you got to dry it right and cure it and trim it and, you know, cure it again sometimes to bring the nose out, QC it. Uh, so there's a lot of effort that goes in there. And then we have the back office and compliance pieces, right? So because of the regulation, aka over-regulation at the moment of cannabis... <laughs> You know, that we have a even just a straight compliance team of, a, you know, five, six people who are every single plant's registered with the state of California. And so when you harvest them, you got to do all kinds of mechanics there. You know, I, I sometimes say we run a compliance business and sell, sell cannabis on the side. <laughs> It's it's a joke, but but only partly because if you don't do the compliance uh, right, you don't get to do any of the other stuff. So yeah, exactly. um, there's there's a lot of ho- overhead that goes along with that. I get it. I get it. And talk to me a little bit about what you've chosen to grow. So we we talk a little bit about cultivars. You've got a couple of brands that you've built. I mean, what as you've looked at the market, where have you seen the opportunities? Where have you kind of figured out your kind of niche or or where you want to play? And how has that guided your 
selection of cultivars, what you grow, how you grow it, what kind of products you're producing. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so we we probably have 40 or so different strains that we grow at any one time right now. And then we have a, a broader library and we move those around. Some things are seasonal and, you know, really based on the climate that the plant likes. Mm-hmm. Some things are market driven. You know, there's a kind of a focus right now on making sure that there's these broad categories. I'm not sure that, you know, they're entirely accurate, but the market uses this indica which is like sleepy relaxing sativa which is kind of more energetic and uh and you know uh talkative uh, go for a hype kind of stuff a hybrid which is somewhere in the middle and then the cbd and other kind of more exotic cannabinoids uh, are in their own categories so the market likes to see a kind of an even mix of those right you don't want to have only indicas because some people some consumers walk in the door and say i only like sativas and you know everything's truly a hybrid so none of them are really one or the other but it still gives people an indication of kind of what effect to expect, which is helpful to them. So we'd like to broaden that out. And then we're, we're big believers in genetics right now. So we're doing lots of R&D, many strains uh, going through an R&D process, both for suitability for, you know, the end product, the suitability for our climate and growing style, you know, all, all those kinds of pieces. And so right now, like, you know, we've done some in-house breeding, created some strains that are unique to us. We like that. We're doing some partnerships with people who, with groups who focus solely on finding new genetics. Genetics is a whole interesting thing in cannabis and I think really unique uh, right now. It's so democratic and there's so yeah. many different versions out there and, and you can make your own, which is yeah, exactly. no, no normal person is out there making a new strain of apples because it takes, you know, a decade in cannabis. Yeah. You could have a new strain of cannabis in four months. And so yeah. people do that and then you get to pheno hunting and all this interesting stuff. So, well, do you think, what do you think the future of that is? You think this is going to, we're going to settle on like, pilsners and you know <laughs> loggers and things like, like things will kind of naturally settle into certain categories or is this going to be you know just part of cannabis as people experimenting and finding new kind of strains cultivars to produce um i think that agriculture is going to be a, f- a fairly good guide you know broader agriculture and what will happen um mm-hmm. i you know history doesn't always repeat itself but usually it rhymes a little bit so i think i think we're going to see more standardization and i think i think we'll see a kind of a i'll call it a maturing process where you're going to get away from the you know all the crazy names that cannabis can have now which are oftentimes a lot of fun but if for a new consumer I, I think about the consumer who's actually not here yet and for them to decode the current market is going to be challenging so i think we'll eventually get into things where whether it be tissue culture or homozygous true breeding seeds which means that you know right now in cannabis if you plant 100 seeds you get 100 different plants and that's yeah. that's pretty uncommon in general agriculture so eventually i think we will get to strains where you can sit you know you could grow from seed and and you could plant 100,000 seeds and you'll get 100,000 plants that are the same, not having to do everything from cuttings and clones and stuff like that. So I think we'll see kind of a, as a distilling process, I guess you'll say, where it's there's not 20,000 strains, but rather maybe wine, right? Like Pinot grapes and, and, uh, and yeah. cab grapes and things like that. It's, you know, the, the average consumer doesn't have... 20 different kinds of cabs they have yeah exactly you know two so yeah and let's talk about brand a little bit because i think that's one of the most interesting things i've seen in the cannabis industry the last year two years is kind of the shift from you know just producing things that you know the highest thc level possible to you know things that actually have some different qualities that are designed for different effects for different markets for different customers and what they're looking for how has how how have you kind of approached that strategically and and how has developing a brand 
become kind of an important part of the process for you? Yes, brands brands are also interesting in cannabis, right? So if you look at typical CPG, you see mostly a brand heavy asset light model, meaning that the brands do not typically own their supply chains. Mm-hmm. And I think cannabis will eventually get there. But the thing is that that brand heavy asset light, it kind of assumes or presupposes a mature supply chain. And cannabis is basically the definition of an immature supply chain. So it's not really possible to have a good business that's brand heavy asset light right now. And frankly, that's because there's no or even negative brand equity in the market today, meaning that in Rice Krispies, a Kellogg's Rice Krispie costs six bucks and the grocery store Rice Krispie costs three bucks because Kellogg's has brand value from the marketing and the reputation and et cetera. It's done. In cannabis, the wholesale price of cannabis in packaged, sold, tested, distributed, et cetera, CPG cannabis is the exact same price, which which means it's actually cheaper because you added a bunch of pieces onto it that are not the product itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you actually see lower margins selling branded product than wholesale product. And that's broken. It's really broken if you're only the CPG guy, because that means you got to buy it for a thousand bucks and you're going to put in a bunch of resources and still only be able to sell it for a thousand bucks. That said, I think we are really big believers in brand. So everything we're doing is around leveraging the supply chain that we've built. And we built it in a really conservative way with no debt and no landlords. We own all of our properties and assets for cash. We don't owe anybody any money on them. So we have this really low cost of goods or COGS because we don't have facility costs. And so everything is really labor and and supplies. And we're really efficient and drive every day to be more efficient tomorrow than we were yesterday on that. And so now we can put them into brands and we can invest in that brand and we can profitably grow a California cannabis brand, which is not something that many or, you know, many more. I can't even think of more than two other people that can make that statement that they're profitably growing a California cannabis brand. So we are investing in that because because we think that we're in the transition from I just want some cannabis to I want glasshouse cannabis. Right? Yeah, exactly. And so our goal is to become the Casamigos of cannabis here in California. And that means that we got to build the brand. So we're investing really heavily in that. And it's showing, right? Um, number three brand in the flower category now is Glasshouse Farms. And that is the biggest category in the world's biggest market, which is California. So yeah. we're, uh, we're on the path. Yeah, it's just as the market matures and you know more people kind of enter cannabis that are not traditional cannabis users and you know maybe just you know don't have the kind of understanding or the the experience with with cannabis to understand all the kind of agricultural terms or the technical terms and are just looking for you know I want a good product from a company that can produce a consistent result and once I trust that brand I know that I'm going to be able to I'll get their flour and I'll get their edible and I'll get their their tinctures and stuff I mean like once I trust a brand then I can kind of move across product fairly easily. Yep. Yeah. And you said a couple words in there too, which I think are really important and and are not common yet in cannabis, right? So one uh, is consistency, right? It's really hard to have a brand and be inconsistent, right? Like if Starbucks sometimes had an amazing cup of coffee and sometimes had a horrible cup of coffee, you wouldn't go there very often, right? You Mm. go to Starbucks because love it or not, you know what you're going to get and it's going to be the same in Munich or LA or San Francisco, right? And so mm-hmm. that that's the brand, right? And so that and then scale and consistency of availability, I think are three things that are not very common in cannabis yet and that we are really working to solve. So we have a big supply chain so we can service mm-hmm. and we can stay on the shelves all the time. We have a whole process and philosophy that is around consistency. So if you like our sour diesel today, you're going to like it next month and the month after that as well. And then efficiency, which allows us to deliver a great product at a fantastic price. 
cannabis. And I think that's also important because uh, especially with taxes, about half the cost of cannabis off the shelf is taxes. So um, we got we to gotta deliver quality at a reasonable price to make it accessible to people. Yeah. And talk to me a little bit about how this game changes for you, given, you know, the potential kind of regulatory shifts in the environment. You know, if we do, we federally de-schedule this, uh, you know, what do you think is going to happen on a state-by-state level? Are we going to really see a, a, a federal or a, a national cannabis market? Are there going to be kind of regions and states? Is like, What's your kind of working model and how this is going to develop over the next you know, five, 10 years? Yes. I, so I think it's important to think about there's lots of different categories and components, right? So you could have decriminalization which would basically say the feds aren't, you know, going to come after you if you if you do things. You could have banking access, right? So like the Safe Banking Act could give access to banking and financial markets and things like that without actually addressing the issue of descheduling, decriminalization. Yeah. And then you could also have a full descheduling, which doesn't necessarily mean interstate commerce by default, right? So if you look at what's happening right now, there's a bunch of really exciting stuff. You know, in the November election, every single cannabis ballot issue, including some really conservative states, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Montana's and South Dakota's and stuff like that, every single one passed and made a big step forward. Then you had the World Health Organization recommend to the UN to take cannabis off the dangerous drugs list. The UN voted Mm -hmm. and they did that, including the US ambassador to the UN also voted to do that. You have Kamala Harris coming in as vice president. Kamala Harris is the lead sponsor of the MORE Act, which would completely deschedule cannabis. The House of Representatives just voted to do that. It's not going to go to the Senate um, or it wouldn't pass the Senate, but it's still a pretty symbolic move. Then you also had a Medical Cannabis Research Act, which was approved by the House of Representatives and then just yesterday approved by the Senate. So, you know, you have a lot of things moving in that direction. If we in Georgia is actually, interestingly enough, the direction that goes could have a pretty big influence on on the cannabis industry. Let's say the MORE Act passes. I think it throws a 5% federal tax on cannabis and then just Mm -hmm. basically lets the states do what they're doing, which is basically what they're doing already. So that would have some pretty huge impacts. Uh, It would take the handcuffs off. You know, a bunch of companies who don't want to have anything to do with uh, a mm-hmm. federally illegal industry. It would take the handcuffs off banking and our, you know, Wall Street, call it, which I think would be great. All that business is going to Canada right now, and but they're all U.S. companies who are there. Yeah, exactly. They're doing so. I, you know, I don't know why we we put the handcuffs on our people, but not, uh, you know, not mm-hmm. not <laughs> consistently. So I'd love to see that come off, and then I think you'll see a year, huge flood of capital into the market because everybody knows where this is going, and they can't play yet. And you'll probably see. A hundred dollars of capital chasing every one dollar yeah, of good opportunity. On that one. I mean, it, it, you know, it certainly sounds like one of your kind of strategic assets is you know personal capital. Like you've got the money to be able to send these things up without having to go to outside financing and stuff. Does do you feel like that's been a real kind of strategic advantage? And do you lose that strategic advantage if we open up the capital markets and also you know there's a more readily accessible capital for being able to you know start and grow these cannabis businesses? Yeah. So I, you know, historically and to this day, financing in cannabis is is really hard. I think that's only going to get easier. I don't think it's going to go get harder, but I think the way that we've set it up, it continues to be a strategic asset for us, right? And as an example, yeah. we own everything with cash. When yeah. that does happen, all of a sudden you can do what normal businesses do, right? Like yeah, nobody who, Yeah, you, nobody who buys hotels or apartments or anything like that buys them 100% cash, right? So then we can say, okay, here's this $100 million worth of real estate and maybe it's even worth more than that because now we can see how this is going to be selling to the rest of the mm-hmm. state. It's, you know, the capital dislocation starts to go away and now we can get, you know, 4% financing on that. All of a sudden there's a huge Boom. pool of capital yeah. for us to use for business yeah. growth that costs 
far less dilution than it would today. So I think it's all good news from that point of view. I'm not really in a rush. You know, I guess I would peg mm-hmm. it at a probably 22, 21, 22, 23, somewhere right in there. And there's upsides to all, you know, I, right. I wouldn't, I don't mind having another year to build before those floodgates open up. So 22, 23 would probably be my guess at this point on where we, yeah. where we see the federal movement. And how do you approach things like, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm out of the New York area and Jersey just, you know, passed its legislation. Yeah. It looks like they're going to have some interesting stuff coming in 21. Like, how does how does that market look for you? I mean, is this something that you have plans on coming to Jersey and, and start serving the Jersey market and looking at the Northeast? Or are you pretty squarely focused on California as being the biggest market in the world right now, keep focusing on that. Like, how do you look at that kind of national market? Yeah, so um, I really like California. I think if you're going to be in one spot, California is the B, place to be. It's it's the most discerning and it's the largest market, right? So I think if yeah. you can win and, and survive and, and prosper in California, you can do it anywhere. I also think that California is a cultural capital for you know a lot of things, but it is undeniably the cultural capital for cannabis, right? So if you think about that evolution, when those walls come down, I think that the country, the world, wants California cannabis brands. And we have this we have this really big uh, and free focus group out there that tells us what people want before they can get it. And it's mm-hmm. called the illicit market. Um, yep. And so if you look and you could do it, I'm sure you could find your cannabis bodegas around New Jersey and New York. And what you'll find is that those are filled with either real or counterfeit California brands because that's what people want. And so I think when the walls come down, I'd be looking at the New Jersey and East Coast market, but I'd be looking at serving seeing them first as a California cannabis brand produced and shipped from California. If yeah. the interstate commerce rules don't allow that, then I think I'd be looking at either standing up or partnering with operations on the East Coast to bring in our brands to there to be produced for they're still going to want California. It's, you know, it's an apple wine of, of cannabis yeah. is California. Yeah, no, I get it. Graham, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, about Glasshouse, what's the best way to get that information? Uh, I'd say, you know, our Instagram is uh, Glasshouse Farms and our website is uh, glasshousefarms.org. So it's .org, not .com. Um, and then our overall company is uh, the Glasshouse Group, which is glasshousegroup.com is our website. So those are probably the best places to find us. Great. I'll make sure all those are in the show notes so people can get that information. Graham, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Yeah, thanks a lot for having us, Bruce. We appreciate it. Have a great one. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.